What's up, Buttercup? And Super Vegan Brian. Hello, nurse. And today we are going to be not necessarily talking about a specific topic, but we're going to use our super random number generator and we're going to just come up with topics. So guys, I want to know, how was your July 4th? I live in Santa Ana where fireworks are more or less legal. And so down my entire neighborhood street, everyone was just blasting off fireworks. And then we have a park across the street from where I live. So there's more fireworks there. Which is a lot of fireworks. I smell <laughs> sulfur everywhere. That's, That's the awesome. It's the best. Makes me so jealous because I love fireworks. I did the opposite of that. He went to bed early, put him put him a beanie over his head, stuffed with pillows, so they, so they would block out the sound. No, I went away from the fireworks and watched them from a distance. Oh, I, I love hearing them go boom, though. I, I love hearing the blast. Well, I could hear the blast. It basically sounded like. The town below was under attack. What I did was I went to Sage. I went to um, I went to Daniel Cross's house for a barbecue. We went to a place where you could see Lake Elsinore, Hemet, Menifee, and Temecula, and even a little bit of Riverside. And we watched all the fireworks through Where'd binoculars. Where did you go? Springfield. We watched all the binoculars. We watched all the binoculars through the fireworks. We watched all the fireworks through the binoculars, and we watched a fire start in Winchester. What? Oh shit! Jeez. Yeah, that was pretty cool. What about you, Michael? I worked. Of course. At least huh. at least one of us is. Huh. No, I, I worked I worked until job. <laughs> I worked until about like eight PM and then I went home and I played card games with my wife and uh several friends. And it's actually a fun night. Yeah, it sounds like a cool thing to do. The, we just the school we wasn't open fourth of July, so I was off. <laughs> so nice. we we have our experimental topic to try today. But first, yes, Brian, but first we're going to play What's Nerdy With You, your favorite game where your hosts sit down and discuss about the nerdiest thing they did this week. And then we all vote to see who gets the coveted prize of no prize of no the prize of yeah. no. No, it's the nothing prize. There's no no prize. There's no prize of no. Oh, sh- shut the fuck up, Anthony. It's not my fault that you're getting our own prize mess up. It's a are you fucking kidding me? A, a, a quick note to listeners: um, If we have a little bit of technical issues with my, with Anthony, we apologize. We've been having some problems this morning with technical problems. Also, yeah, he's like you know, a douche. Wow, my mic is the suck. That was I'm a, not a douche. I thought we treat each other with love and respect on this podcast. Oh, there was shut the fuck up, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, Brian. There was plenty of love in there. But back to our favorite game, everybody. Anthony, what's nerdy with you? I went to a concert last week. Went to go see <laughs> Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden people in Glen Helen. Did they bring Eddie out on stage? They did. First, they brought out a guy dressed in an Eddie costume. Then they brought out this like giant blow-up Eddie. And they also brought out a giant blow-up Satan. They brought out a meat alternative? Huh? Giant floating loaf of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> That that would be weird. If you have celiac <laughs> disease, this must scare the shit out of you. <laughs> There's a giant floating loaf of Satan. You look over and Brian's like three rows back already going, get it away from me. 
You're the Satan away from me. <laughs> you know somebody brought their friend from church and he said they go to What's happening? I don't understand this. Why do they yeah, why is there a concert. giant Satan? I can't imagine anyone going to see Iron Maiden and being surprised. Well, I was surprised. I've never seen them before. Oh man. Oh, you didn't know what the show was like? <laughs> no, not really. I didn't really know how Iron Maiden put shows on. Yeah, it's a crazy theatrical show. Well, I've seen them before, so you know, that's probably why I know. And then I also got to see Ghosts. They were there. And Exodus was there. And I can't remember what the other band was. I really can't. It's terrible. Hey, Brian, you won't want to watch me make Anthony mad? I'll listen. Okay, good. Hey, Anthony, for Ghost, did they have giant inflatable things of Hawaiian punch? <laughs> no. <laughs> you, know. you know, you try to make Anthony mad, but you know how much it pisses me off when you bring it up with no context <laughs> every <laughs> time. <laughs> Especially since, I mean... They're not in on the joke either, so I don't know why Ghost, the band, would bring giant punch. The- <laughs> Michael, your joke, when you think about it, makes no sense. I like it. I, I can think of a, a, a more inside joke that makes more sense. When you pay to see Ghost in concert, do you have to pay with Ghost Nickels? <laughs> that actually makes a lot more sense. Ghost I apologize, listeners, for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about. If you're laughing your ass off right now, leave us feedback. But we are referencing past podcast episodes. So this is encouraging you to do a deep dive into our episodes. You get this joke about the ghost. It's not like we're the only podcast that references old jokes from previous episodes. That's true. It just it, it hurts my heart a little bit. It's just funny because you guys are just like, shut the fuck up. Brian, let's be honest. Michael's existence hurts your heart a little bit. <laughs> That's not true. I love and respect my shut the fuck up, Michael. Uh, Couldn't even finish that one. But yeah, that's what I did. I went to a pretty dope ass concert. It was pretty awesome. It sucks that I yeah, couldn't we, go because you invited me right that day. I did invite people because the person I was supposed to go with on the day of the concert decided to tell me, oh, I can't go. There's stuff going on. And I'm like, that's cool. I guess I bought these two tickets for nothing. He invited me too, and I was Super like, "Dude, awesome. I want to go so bad, but I can't. I, I couldn't make it." I don't know if I could have handled two weeks in a row of Glen Helen. Oh man, that place <laughs> is hot. Fuck, it's hot, and the parking was so terrible. We oh. literally sat there in our parking space trying to leave for an hour before we actually moved out of the parking space. See, that was your first mistake. Is you tried to leave right away if nascar has taught me anything it's you sit in that parking spot for an hour and a half to two hours with a beer or some kind of other drink that you like that's cold because it's hot and you have a snack and you just be like that concert was the fucking bomb man and just relax and then whenever all the other cars are gone you leave like a normal person what that told me was stay away from where they have nascar because everybody's leaving drunk uh, hopefully not the people driving. <laughs> Usually the de- Disney driver's like, I'll have a Coke. When I saw Tool, the concert ended at 11.30 and we didn't get out of the parking lot till 2.30 in the morning. Exactly. You don't try and drive away. Hell, I even go to yeah. country western concerts and you're still not getting out of that parking lot quick. Because all those big yeah, well, trucks are I, just like, we're going to take a while to get out of here. Enjoy, enjoy my exhaust. Well, I had to go to someone's house to pick up my son, so I couldn't just stick around and I wait. Know. I know who that someone was. Well, yeah, we, we, we ended up taking a nap. 
That's how we handled it. We just took a nap, woke up at two thirty, and left. <laughs> you see, like Brian and Sandra, like just <laughs> pulling the levers on the seats, <laughs> sitting back up, going, "Man, that was such a great power nap." You want to go home? All right, all right Michael. <laughs> I'm glad that was funny for you. Just in my head, I just see you because I know what Sandra looks like. Just like both popping up in unison, going, "All right, let's go home." It was a pretty good mental picture because that's pretty much what happened. We just folded our seats up and left. My nerdy thing this week: I got a video game, Pathfinder Adventures. It's a video game based on the card game, and it was originally out on tablet, but in June it came out on Steam. Yup, it did. Yup, and that's really cool. It is freaking great. It is freaking great. I'd say the addiction level is low. The time sink level is really high. It It's like you go to play and you like finish the adventure and you go and you go, oh, I didn't make it. I'm going to do it again. And then you go to do it again and you go, oh, I finished that one. Let me do the next one. Then you, you, you do that again. Then you look at the clock and you started at nine in the morning and then it's 1.30 in the morning the next day. Holy hell. That's an exaggeration. That didn't exactly happen to me. Probably um, not much, though. I would say more like starting at 9 p.m. and then like looking at the clock and it's 1 in the morning. So kind of like Civilization, if you ever played Civilization. It's a neat game because it's, it's, it's turn-based. I love how you can walk away from it anytime. You can even close your game and then open back up and it pops right back in where you were playing. Oh, well, that's good. And it follows the stories of the pa- of the Rise of the Rune Lords adventure path. So if you play it, it will spoil that adventure path for you. Oh, Aww. shit. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not playing that. It's the basic storyline that it spoils, but there's a few like characters that end up becoming that you meet and you, you meet early on. They're like innocuous NPCs and they end up being villains earlier. Later, the game will completely spoil that for you. Well, that's good to know. See, I could totally play, and then I could do Rise of the Rune Lords, and know, and go, I know everything. <laughs> you just I, like can prepare perfectly. You just meet the guy, and you you stab him in the face, and you're like, the GM's like, why in the hell? I didn't like how he looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> in the back of his head, the GM's like, fuck, no shit, ruined everything. What the fuck? Oh, I guess you're skipping this room, this room, and this room. So that's what Brian did. He got a game. Michael, what did you do this week? What is your nerdy thing? Well, my nerdy thing is actually a culmination of playing several new card games. Uh, we've like bought like three new ones and played most and played them all. And they're actually a lot of fun. Card games, huh? Like Magic the Gathering or a different kind of card game? No, but I actually I think my addiction's coming back because I saw a a deck of the Almonket uh, run of magic uh, and had Liliana on the front. And I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe I could justify buying this. Could I? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's $15. And then I was like, walk away, Michael, walk away, walk away, Michael, walk away. What games did you play? (laughs) Uh, we played rotten apples, which is like, it's actually a lot of, it's a lot of fun. Um, like a tamer version of cards against humanity a little bit, but it was fun. But we also played never have I ever. And I, yeah, I can't find the box for the other one, too, so I can't remember the name. Uh, there's one game that I think my cousin wants to go buy next time we go to Target. It's called Cranium Dark. And we looked at the box, and on the box, it's a, a, you, you have a Cranium card and an Action card. And it says, the Cranium card is the one you keep secret. And it says, 
milk a cow. And the other one is the action card. You have to act it out doing it as that action. It says, can your friends figure out how milking a cow while you act like a zombie? That sounds great. I want to play that. Yeah, we're going to... He's going to pick it up next time he goes to Target, hopefully. That does sound fun. That sounds great. So we're going to try and get that. But yeah, just honestly, I've played. A, I've been playing a lot of card games. A lot of we played a lot of our regular ones too. We played most of our fluxes. We played Cards Against Humanity like four times, and we played our friend Wayne's new card game and his expansion, Exploding Kittens. You know, I think I'm going to down Cards Against Humanity. I mean, it's a fun game, but it's not really like a game. Game like there's no strategy involved. There's no tactics or anything like that. It's just like. No, there's definitely a strategy to it. Like, if you know the person who's judging, you pick the one that the you think will make you that you'll make that specific person laugh the most. It, it, the strategy is saving your cards for the person you know will like that card the most. It's, it's just def- an excuse to hang out and make dirty jokes. It's not really a game. That, yeah, okay, I can give you that too. I think it's it's very good. But yeah, we haven't been playing it that much aside from like the two times we played it this week because uh, Jeremy really likes it. But it, it's kind of getting watered down. Uh, I've I've been enjoying Joking Hazard more. Yeah, it's time to get a new expansion because I I I've played it so many times that it's like nothing can surprise me anymore. They do have the they have a there's supposed to be a Disney expansion coming. I heard crabs against uh, right. cra- yeah. crabs. I, I hear that crabs adjust humidity is pretty good. So do I. I heard it was really good. So I want to try that expansion. Uh, I've looked at a lot of the specialty expansions, which is only like. It's like ten or twenty cards, and they're supposed to be really, really good. So let's take let's take a vote here. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, we had a little technical difficulty, and we lost Anthony, and we're not going to be able to get him back today. So he voted for himself for his Iron Maiden visit, and I think that was really cool. So I'm going to vote for that too, Michael. I think we're going to make this unanimous, and I think we're it's going to be an all-Anthony because the concert actually sounded like a lot of fun, and the fact that they actually got Eddie out on the stage, and they had all, all they, they had such production value for it, and I like Lynn Helen. It's a good venue, so I'm, that's actually head towards the vote, too. <laughs> so, Anthony, if you're out there somewhere listening in, you just got a unanimous vote. Yay! I have a... Um sophisticated topic this decision making mechanism here i'm gonna roll a d6 on a one through three we use my topic and a four through six we pick yours okay all right four what's your topic i was actually been thinking about pathfinder a lot lately and i kind of wanted to just talk about it and yeah, as a general because we it's something we both like and well all three of us like it but and it's something that I've been wanting to talk about. We've talked we've had about a, tabletop role-playing games in the past, but we've never just talked about the Pathfinder RPG. That's very true. We've never just we've never talked just Pathfinder. And that's actually a platform I've really come to love because it doesn't seem as convoluted as some of the other platforms have become. Like I've looked over D&D 5th edition and it's kind of got really confusing, but it, when I look at Pathfinder it doesn't feel very confusing. So, what is the Pathfinder RPG? Pathfinder is a adventure role playing game for the tabletop, and it has other iterations too. For they're actually coming out with a video game right now through their Kickstarter, aren't they? Well, there already is a video game. There's Pathfinder Online, which uh, is an yeah. which is an MMO that didn't do very well, which um, makes me sad. Well, Pathfinder itself is a tabletop role playing game, 
So it's like Dungeons and Dragons. It's actually based on an earlier edition of Dungeons and Dragons. They have the Pathfinder Adventure card game, which is, I guess I would call it a deck building game. That's the same card game that the game Pathfinder Adventures that I've been playing is based on. There's the Pathfinder RPG Beginner Box, which is like how you learn how to play the game. It's really simplified rules, and it's much easier to get into the game, and you can have younger people playing that. Yeah, that that's actually a box I wouldn't mind getting my hands on for when my daughter gets a little older. And then you have like the giant three, 360, 400 page or something like that core rulebook, which is the actual Pathfinder RPG. Yeah, which I I have a copy of, and... It's actually very helpful. There's more information in there than I really realized until I ran over it this last time to make my newest character. So my experience with Pathfinder is I used to play D&D and D&D 3.5 ended and 4th edition came out and I was in my like decision making process to decide what I wanted to play. And I went to the game shop and saw this paperback pathfinder rpg beta and i looked through it and said oh my god when this comes out this is the game i'm gonna play because i was really like not sure if i wanted to play DD fourth edition which was very different than the game i'd been playing for years or stick with 3.5 which was gonna get stale if no new books were coming out oh yeah so um, we're around what time was that because you've been playing pathfinder for Almost the, the time I've known you. What did when what year did it come out? Um when did Pathfinder RPG release? Because you played it almost you played it almost the entire time I've known you, and I met you back in like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, it was published in two thousand nine. So I met you yeah, I met you in about two thousand eight, I wanna say. So it's it's almost been out as long as we've been friends. You you met me in 2007 because that's when we were doing the martial arts class. Yeah, seven, like around mid midway through seven. Yeah, so it's so and weird that, you, that point, I knew you before that. 3.5 D and D would have been around for about seven years. Well, 3.0 came out in 2000, but that game in some form had been around for about seven years, and it was cool to see Paizo, which is a company that makes Pathfinder RPG, pick that up because Paizo was a company that. D&D fans were already fans of because they were publishing Dragon Magazine. They did cooler things with Dragon than had been done before by um, Wizards of the Coast or TSR before that. And then they were doing these Pathfinder Adventure Paths, which were D&D 3.5, which were six book epic campaigns of adventure that you could play over a year or two. I, I think we talked about that a little bit when we had Order of the Ember Die on. Yeah, we, talk, we, we touched on that a little bit. So, but Pathfinder, you know, it, it, that's actually been a more prominent format for me. It, it was easier to get into the the D the D and D books for anything after four for anything after fourth just became very convoluted to me, and I had a hard time wanting to get into it. Plus, I had also the stigma of all these hardcore path D and D fans sitting there saying how trashed fourth edition was after three point five. And I was just really wanting to tr- get into something. And with this many people saying that it was crap, it made me want to walk away and not try it. And then when you introduced me to Pathfinder, I was like, man, this is actually really fun to get into. It, it was very simplistic. Plus, the the society play and how they help people get into it 
really was a plus for me. And hell, it it was very welcoming. Plus, uh, bringing the pre having the pre gens the way set up the way they were, it just it it fostered a good community for me to try and be part of. So and that, that's another aspect is the society play uh, portion of Pathfinder. I I actually thought of a couple more incarnations that it it exists in. We'll talk about that after we talk about society okay. play. Well, organized play has been around for a really long time since like the early days of Dungeons and Dragons, and it's the it, at a core concept. It's and wasn't it Greyhawk? Yeah, I think the first one was. Greyhawk. I mean, that's the first campaign. I remember back in second edition, they had Living Forgotten Realms, which were adventures that all took place. They they dedicated one city for their organized play. And that was the days of the RPGA. I, I remembered reading a lot about the RPGA and like Dragon Magazine. And this is pre-internet when they were setting this up. Oh, my. Oh, my. Yeah. A lot of it was like, I, I, I don't know how they did reporting or anything like that. Yeah, that's a good question. So it probably was probably a call-in or a mail-in. Those are the only two real ways they would do it. Or they would do shop, uh, or they would call in, or they would report to the shop, and the shop would have to like write in. So I think maybe, yeah, that's really confusing, because now all I can think about is, is <laughs> email it over, email it over, text it to me. <laughs> it was probably you tell the shop owner, and then they have to hand it over at the end of the day. So, but I realize there's probably some people out there going, well, what's organized play? Organized play or Pathfinder Society in this rendition is a where you can go out. This is me explaining it here, people. Uh, going out, and it's usually held at game shops. I've heard of it being held at uh, other places like conventions. And you, basically, you're setting up for one shot scenarios or m- full modules to play with in basically set up groups. You're you have people come in, not normally the same people. You can play different characters and you're going out as part of the Pathfinder society and handling missions for the society and playing out these small scenarios that I, I for me, they last around five hours. If you're doing a, a single run scenario. Yeah, I think that's really well described. You So normally in a Pathfinder adventure, you're sitting at home with your friends one person came up with the adventure or they're writing, doing a pre-published adventure and everybody plays and it's not real. I mean, the rules are set, the, like the general rules of how people play are set by the person who's jamming, where organized play is organized and all the rules are set by the Paizo organization and you sit down for five hours, you play a game, but you level up your character and you can take that character to other game shops or to like a convention. So like I can start at my local game store, play my guy in these scenarios and then go up and level, get equipment and stuff and then go to go to a convention like Gen Con and play that same character. Or I could go to a store in Sweden and play that same character. Sweden. Yeah, it's a pretty epic worldwide thing. You know, we did it. Yeah. We did an episode on organized play. I'll have to reference it in the show notes because we had Eric Britton on. I mean, it was so long ago. I barely yeah. remember. Well, we 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 talked. We didn't talk about just organized play, but it it was a heavy uh, it was a heavy uh, portion of our content, and so we do did cover a good amount of it. But here, I, I feel like we're giving a little bit more dive on it. But so organized, like with organized <laughs> the, play. The topic the topic of the episode was organized play, Michael. I'm trying to. I don't remember it being organized play, but then again, we talked about a lot of crap on that episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, Are I know. Sure? It was a long time ago. Yeah, it was one of our first episodes. He, it, Eric was like our second or third guest or something like that. I liked Eric. Eric's a good guy. Yeah. Um, the the other the, we um, Pathfinder also has novels. They're the Pathfinder Tales line of novels. I think I've mentioned that I've read a few of them. I'm reading yeah. Pirates Honor. I'm reading Pirates Honor by Chris A. Jackson right now. I would actually wouldn't mind getting into reading some of the novels. I've read a couple of the D and D novels yeah, for Forgotten Realms. Pretty much all the ones I've read, I've been for the Drizzt line. I've read those, and I want to get. In, I wouldn't mind reading the Pathfinder ones. I also wanted to check out the Pathfinder comics. Those are supposed to be really neat, so I wouldn't mind picking up some of the comics too, because I've seen the artwork for the covers and heard what they cover. So it, it would be neat. I've read them. You've read the comics? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually. I have one waiting for me at SoCal Games and Comics right now. Um, it, it's currently on Pathfinder Runescard, but I mean, it started with Pathfinder, um, where they had this whole adventure with goblins, and I think they're like, gosh, issue number forty or fifty right now. Um, Whoa! They they have the they started off at low level and had this whole adventure and have done bigger and better things over time and it's introduced a lot of the different characters from the pathfinder universe what they did was in the pathfinder role-playing game there are iconic characters that represent each class of play so like there's a specific fighter that's used for all the artwork for fighters there's a specific cleric so as you look at different books you can get a grasp of the artwork and you you know like if you see a picture of somebody in a book you know that's the fighters, so you know that's representing some rule option for fighters or cleric or wizard or even like more obscure like arcanist or inquisitor. They have a different iconic character for each class. Well, the comic book was a way for them to give those iconic characters some personality and backstory and let you learn a little bit more about them. They've also they've done some real progressive storylines like two of the two of the women in the comic have a relationship. You run into like people talking about the horrors of their past and stuff so it, it's it's a pretty deep pretty adult comic it's it's really good well it's good yeah that sounds like something i'd really like to get into and, and the, the them giving more personality to the iconics is really awesome actually because uh just the artwork and, and hearing the little bit what that you get from the well, main pathfinder books on them is great but i would like more depth and so hearing that for the comics it actually makes me a little bit more happy about that I actually, I think my first iconic, uh, my first time playing, I, I pre-gen the fighter. I um, like Valoros. I've played yeah, Valoros. Before. Yeah, I've played Kira the cleric, um, Mauriciel the rogue. I don't remember them all off the top of my head. Kira the wizard. Kira the Kira. No, Ezrin the wizard, Lem the bard, Amiri the the barbarian. Gosh, I know them. Lenny <laughs> <laughs> the druid. I think the only. Other pregen I've played was just a standard samurai pregen, not even an iconic. And that's actually what got me to want to make a samurai character is because I liked it. I originally didn't want to try and take a mount, but I actually ended up really liking having a mount. I just want to reference the clusterfuck of te- technical difficulties we're having this week. I blame July 4th. I blame it too. I really yeah. do. Well, we were supposed to have Kersey Smurferica on this morning. That didn't work because of technical difficulties. We couldn't get her connected. We were supposed to have Anthony on. This is a fir- like the first or second time we've lost one of us to technical difficulties. And now, because of 4th of July, I have garbage trucks going up and down my street on Saturday. So I have to keep muting my mic for a long time. I'm done ranting. 
<laughs> I can talk <laughs> about Pathfinder now. But I just want to let our listeners know that this is yeah. being a really frustrating morning. Yeah, this this isn't uh, us like burning down after one year. This is us just rolling with a lot of punches. <laughs> no, you know what? You get a one-year anniversary. That's when you get tested. Yeah, it's like, now we're going to check your devotion. You guys made it. You guys made it. So let's check your devotion. And here we are. So one of the things I like about the Pathfinder RPG is how complex it is. A lot of people ask, if I want to play a role-playing game, do I play D&D 5e or do I play Pathfinder? And I tend to recommend to beginners, play D&D. It's, it's not as complicated. If you know, But if your friends are playing Pathfinder, don't be intimidated. Jump in. Find a good positive group and check it out and play. And my recommendation for beginner players, play a simple character like a fighter. Don't try to get complicated. You may be used to MMOs and playing spellcasters. That's going to probably put you in over your head in a tabletop RPG unless you have a lot of tabletop RPG experience. Yeah, because spell, the spell structuring for either one of the RPGs is a lot more complicated than an MMO. There's no hotkeys. Well, one of your first characters was a gunslinger, and you were hit with some of the complexities of that. But that one didn't seem that that still didn't seem as, as complex. I had a good friend help me out with with the things that were difficult for me. The, the main difficult thing was making him more viable in a multiple enemy situation because he had a single shot pistol and that it would take a standard round to reload that pistol until I took a feat that helped him load faster. And then I got a special ammunition that helped him load even quicker. Yeah, so I think I, I'm I, down to a swift action now. I run into a situation like that a lot where I know someone who played a gunslinger and was just like totally discouraged at first because they didn't feel like they were really accomplishing anything because it's just not you, your action economy is so limited at low levels. Until yeah, until you start building things and you figure out different combinations, it's very hard. Like for me, when I first started out, I took a I, I took archetypes that required me to have only a pistol and you're starting off pistol. Like the only thing you can really afford when you first start off is a little single shot pistol. And that takes power, um, uh, you know, a lead ball and powder and it takes a while to load it. But because of somebody who was actually very kind and gracious and has a very good addition of hero lab showed me that you can make alchemic paper pa- uh, cartridges and make preloaded you know, little squibs basically and load your pistol with that. And it takes down your load time. So yeah, it's, it's a, what it is, it's, it's alchemical paper with the powder and the bullet in it. I like the detail of it. I like how they came up with that. Yeah, they came up with a way to load quickly. Cause it's like a fantasy universe where it's not supposed to be real realistic. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed that. I'm sure something like that existed in the real world at some point. Oh yeah, there were, um, there definitely were because there were old cap and there's cap and ball guns. Uh, there were the uh, there are several there are several actual uh, forms of muskets or old rifles that you could have like a military uh, old militaries were, were famous for this uh, having uh, paper waddings that just had the powder and ball inside and you just had to tear it and then shove it in the barrel. And they would be set to go and help you load quicker. Cap and ball, they had some, they had similar things, but it never really took off because sometimes the papers would jam or they would tear completely and, and you would lose everything. Plus the powder, the paper could get wet. I mean, you had 
little wood boxes off to your hip. But if it was starting to rain or it was in a wet situation and you open that box and any of those papers got wet, your your gun, your your ability to fire was toast. It's really neat because they wrote that into the game because when you use an alchemical cartridge, it increases your chance of a misfire. Yeah, I think it takes it from a, a roll of a one to a roll of a one or two. It it increases it by one. So if your gun is a one to two, it would make it a one through three. If your gun is a one, goes on. Because yeah, I have a six-shot pepper box, and I, I think I'm a, a one to two now because like of the patches. If you were shooting like a double-barreled gun with alchemical cartridges, it brings it up to like one through four or something like that. I was thinking about getting a guy that fired a musket. The musket master is a fun archetype. That's one of the things about Pathfinder. So the way you play the the way you make a character for the game is you pick a race and you pick a class. A race is like fantasy races, like human, elf, dwarf, half orc, so on and so forth. To going to crazy levels, there's all sorts of crazy stuff. Like you can play a talking crow called the Tengu. That's a race I would suggest doing after getting some experience. (laughs) You really think so? I think I think picking a race doesn't really affect experience. I, I, I don't think races really matter as far as experience. They're not well, when super you get to, complex. When you get into certain races, they have they have like more and more ra- uh, racial trait abilities. You can be, you know, you can forget to utilize. Not that they're hard to utilize, it's that you can you can forget and add it up. That's why I think starting out with with one of the sim- one of the what or core races like half work dwarf and everything where they have one or two initial racial traits like dark vision and low light vision that help you remember and say those things and then moving on like like a tengu or or one of like the i know somebody who wants to play rat folk i think a tengu can actually make it easier for people because you get like the ability to use any kind of sword so it can simplify things if you're playing a fighter or something like that where you don't have to worry about extra rules for using weapons that you don't have proficiency in that being said i want to make a tengu that and i want to call him master master of the edge and he just has a backpack just with sword hilts sticking out of it and they're like all (laughs) kinds of different sword hilts that's a cool idea i i think i had a character like that when i was playing second edition DD years ago that was collecting swords and just had every kind of weapon proficiency you could imagine yeah, just call him. Call him. Uh, like he did not even a real name, just Master of the Edge, and then he just has like several sword hilts sticking out of this backpack. So we're gonna move on from explaining Pathfinder to listeners that don't have a real information about Pathfinder. We're just going to do a deep dive and having fun with this conversation, so Michael and I can just geek out and talk about things. So, well, skip like 10 minutes ahead if this is too much for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say. Um, we had talked a while back. I was thinking about I was wanting to do the fighter archetype of Viking with a half orc. And I was thinking about it and I think I'm going to skip that guy. And I want to go straight into my next idea, which was actually doing a musket master. Cause I really like the gunslinger archetype and the fact that gunslingers, when you, you can either do go through multi-class or you could just you know, straight class them. They're still actually fairly proficient with weapons with other, with uh, like broadswords and everything like and so you don't have to just stick yourself with that single solitary weapon. It's always good to have a backup. There's nothing wrong with having a favorite class. Like, I know people who only play bards. Yeah, I've well, met plenty of people that only like bards. I know guys that they swear by the fighter. What would you, from your opinion, what do you think the most complicated class is? For me, is wizard. Originally, I would have said it's druid. Um, but since... Druids don't seem that difficult. Oh my god, they're complicated. Imagine, like... You have spellcasting. They also have spontaneous spellcasting, which includes summoning. And summoning is one of the more complex spells in the game where you have to have stat blocks ready. 
So yeah. if you're not familiar with that or you don't or you're not prepared to use it, you're losing a big, really important thing about the class. Then on top of that, at fourth level, you get wild shape abilities. So that gives you the ability to change into any kind of na- animal. But you need to have the spell stat ready and figure out what your stats are. So usually you have to make multiple versions of your character sheet and be prepared to know what kind of animals can do what. So you don't have to be constantly looking in the books to see what abilities they have and what your level of beast shape is that lets you have their abilities. Yeah, that seems pretty that, that seems pretty <laughs> complicated. I don't know if the, the, Okay, I blame now, critical role. I blame critical role because they have a druid on there. I know they run D they run D and D. I mean, they actually originally started out running Pathfinder, and their druid makes it seem a lot easier. Of course, druid she has like D and D is really easy. They, they yeah. get they get wild shape at second level, and it's very specific as to how wild shape works. And wild shape is, I would say, wild shape is kind of broken in D and D compared to how it was in um in Pathfinder. What wild shape in D and D is sort of like how wild shape used to be, where you get the full stats of the animal. Yeah. So and. That's how they run it, but that's one reason why Druid always seemed a little bit easier to me. But for me, Wizard in either D&D or Pathfinder, to me, it's very con- confusing. Of course, I'm somebody who has a hard time discerning like how many times you can use zero-level spells. I played a... Um, oh, that's funny. <laughs> how many times you can use zero-level spells? That I'm telling you, because with my... I have I have a, a cleric, and... It, and I remember you getting so frustrated whenever you were trying to explain to me how many times I can use a zero level spell. Now, note for listeners, they're unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't wrap my head around it for the longest time until I sat down and I looked at my and I looked at my stat block on my or not stat block, my my casting and everything for this cleric I have. And I'm just like, oh, because there's no level attachment, I can do this. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, people think wizards are complicated because you're prepping spells and you have the spell book full of spells. So every day you decide on your spells. But a druid, on the other hand, you're prepping spells and you have access to every druid spell in every book. So it's That's like, true. what That's could I possibly do? I, I think the, the way to play complicated characters like that when you're a beginner is to have a GM that can um like when it when a player says i want to do this the gm can answer them right away without having to look it up but at the same time that can be daunting for players who don't really they feel under pressure and they don't feel like they can be creative and come up with those kind of ideas on the fly they feel constrained by the rules so they might think well i'm not even going to say can i do this because the answer might be no I, I totally get you a lot. I, I always recommend people play a fighter for their first character just to learn the game. That's what I did. I, I, I made the mistake of making a fighter mage thief in second edition and I died in my first game because I just didn't know what I could do. And then I made a, I rolled up a fighter and played that fighter for years before I started branching onto other characters. Um, and then organized play is just a fantastic way to try different things, like get to know the game and then go, hey, I'm going to play a druid, or hey, I'm going to play a cleric, or hey, I'm going to play an inquisitor. I was going to say that druid used to be what I thought was my most complicated class until the newer books came out. What do you think shaman. It is shaman. Oh, shamans. Yeah, those um, those could be very complicated. Not including occult adventures, because occult adventures... Yeah, I'd say that's more complex, but maybe it's just because I don't understand those rules as much. Because they have, like, the medium that has 
you can pick a spirit and you have an entire different group of class abilities every day. Yeah, those guys are nuts. But with the, the shaman, like, because those are guys that can also have the idol on. No, that's a summoner. Oh, that's a summoner? I thought that was shaman. No, shaman. I like saying shaman. Shaman. Um, <laughs> so a shaman is a cross between an oracle and a druid. And they have a spirit that they pick. And the spirit, each different spirit is like an entirely new class. And, and oracles like that too, where an oracle has a mystery and every mystery is completely different. So you have battle oracles and life oracles. A life oracle would focus on he- healing and a battle oracle would focus on combat. But shaman overcomplicate. Oh no, shaman isn't a cross between druid and, and oracle. It's a cross between witch and oracle. Shaman gets complicated because you pick your spirit, and then on top of that, you get hexes. And then on top of that, you get this thing called a wandering spirit, which is every day you pick a different spirit to get some abilities from that spirit. And you have a familiar that gets abilities based on your spirit. Then you have different spontaneous casting rules that change depending on what spirit you picked. And you have different hexes available based on what spirit you picked. Really, really complicated character to make. Holy jeez, sounds like it. Yeah, yeah I've, I've tried making a few, and I've never played a shaman because it's just so intimidating to me. And it's like, I don't know if I could make an effective character with just so many rules available. I don't know what they were thinking when they made it. It's just nuts complex. There's probably somebody who's a rules hound. They probably made it for people who are rules hounds. Because there are people out there who are just like in love with going over and tandling rules. And so it just sounds like that's something for people like that. Your favorite class is um, Gunslinger? You know, I'm, I always said that I really liked it, but I didn't want to make it mine. So it ended up, yeah, being it ended up being Gunslinger because it's something that I really just fell into and loved it. The, the Gunslinger class, it just ooh, the, I had some weird feedback there. Are you OK? Yeah, I can hear you. I heard a lot on the background, but I, yeah, I had I had weird feedback for a second. Yeah, Gunslinger is my favorite class. I, I really enjoyed playing it. I have one only one character in it. But I'm going to make another one because I want to branch out hi. and use hi. everybody. Alana hi. says hi. Let's all say hi back to Alana because hi, Alana is a wonderful little girl. I mean, like I was saying, I, I only have one right now in that class. And I want to branch out more because you can use muskets and blunderbusses. And I want to make a musket master next, I believe. I want to cross and I want to cross level him with a fighter because a fighter is another really good class I like. Now, Brian. You, my good friend, have a lot of characters spanning a lot of classes, and it makes me makes it really hard for me to pin it down. So I got to know what is actually your favorite class, sorcerer. Why am I not shocked? I like spellcasters. I like any kind of spellcaster. I, I like playing wizards and all that, but I, I really like the sorcerer. Uh, they're just fun. I like how you can kind of limit them into one specific role. There's real. I mean, you could make a generalist sorcerer, but you. I like. I like sorcerers. I like the creativity they open up. My favorite kind of sorcerer is a battlefield control sorcerer. I like sorcerers that are like leaders on the battlefield and can manipulate the actual ground or the people on the field to make things happen. Mm. Um, my first sorcerer I ever played in Pathfinder Society was a guy named Drezzy, and I. I liked. I built him to. His first spell was Grace. And I proved that Grease is one of the most effective spells in the game. I, I once, remember tons of stories about Drezzy. Yeah, I once tripped. Uh, well, this wasn't Drezzy. This was a different sorcerer. But I, um, we were fighting oh. these powerful demons called Glabritsu. 
which are challenge rating 14. Challenge rating means that um, a 14th level party can handle one of them. And we were fighting four. I think we were 12th or 13th level at the time. Yeah. And their spell resistance was so high, there was nothing I could do. And I was thinking, wow, these are big, huge demons. What could I accomplish here? And everyone was really participating in the battle, and they were doing really well. And I was like, what can I do? Because none of my spells are working. I just don't have a way to get through their spell resistance. <laughs> so I cast Grease underneath one of the Glabritsus, and he failed to save, and he tripped. Well, um, one of the people in the party had a ability that if someone trips, they get an attack of opportunity. So they were able to kill it. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. Grease is a first-level spell, but I, I like it because, one, it doesn't have spell resistance. And two, you're not casting it on a creature. You're just casting it on the ground. So you don't have to, you know, they get a saving throw. But it's also like a 10-foot square, so you can affect multiple creatures with it. They they came up with Greater Grease in the Advanced Class Guide. Oh, really? What is Greater Grease? I was really Grease excited do? about that. It's a 10-foot-per-level it's a area instead of 10-foot radius. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm sorry, 10-foot square. It's one 10-foot square per level, so you can, like... You can grease a really large area or one character per level. The other thing I like about grease is it's multi-use. You're not just making a 10-foot square of grease on the ground to trip people. You can also cast it on a weapon to make them drop it. Or you could cast it on an ally to buff them, and it gives them a plus 10 bonus to escape grapples. Holy crap. Uh, I could talk about I could talk about spell casting and picking spells forever. I, I love I, that kind of thing. I will say... I had the idea once to make a sorcerer and make him a parody of the sorcerer from Sophia the First. I I kind of want to see that. I kind of want to see that because eventually I'm going to have kids and I'm going to be exposed to that kind of thing. And it would be nice to see someone make a character based on a character from a from a kid's show. Well, because the character, his name is Cedric and he is he's snarky and he always ends up doing the right thing. He's technically a good guy, but he always has these like evil ambitions like he like wants to take over the kingdom but he always does the right thing and he always helps so i, I like i kind of want to make a character like that and i want to make that my first soiree into full-on mat uh spellcaster because i have a i have a cleric yeah who has a evangelist archetype but i don't really you have to use a lot of magic with him so I um you can make clerics different ways. I mean, you can make clerics that really focus on spellcasting, or you can make clerics that focus on combat or focus on healing. One reason why I like about my guy is because I when you pick the evangelist archetype, you lose channeling at first level. So I they become a road. They have to become more battlefield, and but they pick up a, a bard feat. So it makes them like really fun to play. What do you think about dipping? I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with that term. Dipping is when you're playing a class and then you decide I'm going to get one level of a different class. I, I don't have a problem with that, considering I said earlier I wanted to get a make a musket master with a level of fighter. My my dipping experience is I had a third a character who was a third level fighter, a first level barbarian, and a fifth level alchemist. Holy crap! Yeah, it, it was a nice combo. But um, alchemist is a really common dip. Alchemist and Barbarian are both really common dips because an alchemist can drink a mutagen, which gives them a plus four to a stat, and a Barbarian can rage, which gives them plus four to a stat, and they stack, and you can do them both in the same round. Nice. I like Barbarian's rage. Barbarian's rage is great. 
you can also make them complement each other. Like you can get make an alchemist that makes a mutagen that buffs strength and then have your barbarian buff strength with rage. Or you could play an urban barbarian, which which allows you to buff any physical stat for four. And you could buff decks, have an alchemist levels, and have your mutagen buff decks, and then get gunslinger levels and have your damage added to decks if you're a fifth level gunslinger. So a lot of play- people play gunslinger to fifth, then urban barbarian, then alchemist, then they keep going in gunslinger after so they can pump out their damage into their gun. Holy crap. Blowing your mind. That is awesome. Pathfinder RPG isn't just about rules and building optimized characters and stuff. It's also about the story involved. And the Pathfinder RPG has a fantastic world called Galarian. I'm actually reading about that in the Pathfinder Tales novels. You have it in the comics. So you have lots of great stuff you can build for backstory and like learn about the different campaign. There's also PathfinderWiki.com, which has all sorts of information on the campaign setting. How do you think about lore? Do, do you find it overwhelming that you don't understand where you are? Or do you find that you figure out as you're playing, you the lore kind of makes sense and you um you you soak it up. I uh, in general I soak up lore very well. I love backstory. I love I love the the history in, in RPG games. For it it really does enrich the experience and it does help gain more information. And as you pick it up through like a scenario or when you're playing at a home game and then they're you're, it's slowly being delved out to you. It it does pull certain aspects of stories into perspective and it gives you more chance and actually causes you to ask more questions and get, it makes it more richer for you to really work on it. One thing I think that's really hurt lore in role-playing games is people who have grown up with MMOs and online RPGs. Uh, I think there are people who just don't care about lore and you get these games where the you know, someone will be playing a scenario where it's real lore driven and real story based. And they're like, let's get to a fight already. This sucks. And it's like, no, that's not the point of the game. The point is getting into a role and dealing with all those experiences. There's, I mean, there's different play styles of game. There's people who are more into combat, but it's still a role playing game. It's not a combat simulator, a war game or a MMO. I think not role playing in a role playing game is just as bad as trying to role play in an MMO. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, MMOs that you're force fed it the the lore and it has nothing to do with your character because you're 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 sitting as a third party, honestly, not uh, contributing much aside from actions. Where there like, there are some there are some games that integrate lore better than others. There are some, yes, I, I will give you that. But with majority of tabletop games, the lore helps your character be better. Technically, your backstory is your character's lore, and the more you come up with it, honestly, the more you can run a personality through your character. And some people can do it with very little backstory. Some people need a book and able to do it. I know with my first character, very little backstory. The character I currently have running right now in my home game, a good amount of backstory. And in you know, in an organized play campaign, you don't have as much time for lore. You're set in a five-hour game, so you get lore in the story. But you can't build a long you you can build a long backstory, but it's not going to really come up in play. It might affect how you play your character, but you won't get that same feeling of 
being in character and getting to role play. Like, um, I'm in a home game right now where another player and I spent about a half hour just trading stories about our characters past and making them up off the top of our head. You'd never be able to do that in organized play. No, that'd be, that'd be very, very hard. Yeah. We were just role playing between each other, playing our characters. And it was, it was neat because the other player, he'd never done that before. So I could see the joy on his face as he was figuring out what we were doing and how, oh, wow, I'm actually playing a character that I can just play and role play with this other player and his character. I'm not integrating with the story. I'm making the story. I'm I'm glad I'm a member of a home game again. I love organized play and I'm going to play organized play forever. I love being able to go to a game store and play a character and get a game in. But I'm always going to love home games and want to play home games. I'm so happy when I moved to Portland, they told me I can Skype into this game. Oh, that is awesome. Never that Skyped into cool. a pen and paper game before. I think that's going to be neat. That'd be cool. That, I've, seen, be cool. I've seen Patrick Rothfuss do it on Critical Role. Well, yeah, I, I've seen it done through Critical Role. And so I've, I've Skyped um, a Magic the Gathering game. It, it blows me away that Patrick Rothfuss is on Critical Role sometimes. Whatever happened to him? Why is he on it anymore? Well, it's just a guest. Oh, okay. He's he's, uh, he's uh, more he's more of a he's a more of a staple for Acquisitions Incorporated. He does their PAX games because oh, they're, okay. they're 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 the A team for Acquisitions Incorporated. Uh, they have a I think it's weekly now. Acquisitions Incorporated does, and it's their C team. Like it's just a bunch of interns going and having to do crap jobs. He's such a hot writer right now. It's so cool to see that he's really heavily well, he's doing, involved in the. He's so heavily involved in the gaming culture. Yeah, he is, and he's he's writing a lot. I want to get into his King Killer Chronicles because he has two books out, and he's been sitting on the third for like twelve years. But from what all I've read, from what I've heard from all my friends who have read his books, they said that he needs to bump it up to five books in order to cover all his loose ends. Heather's read him, and yeah. um, she loves him. She loves King Killer Chronicles. Yeah, I want to. I want to get the books, and they said he's been sitting on the third one for like twelve years trying to get it finished. I would really enjoy to read them and figure out why a lot of my friends say he needs to bump it up to five books and why a lot of people are just like, when's the third book going to be here? I am going to push really hard. You should read Pathfinder Tales. And those are books. Look, if I could if I could read the Drizzt books from R.A. Salvatore and Forgotten Realms, I think I can read Pathfinder because. Yeah. As there, much as I love those Drizz books and I love the character and I thought the, the stories were really good or anything, that is a dry read in some parts. I wouldn't call Pathfinder Tales dry. You got That's um, good. The, the, would, the D&D book with Drizzt is dry. I would recommend you start with one of two books. I would either go with Prince of Wolves, which is the start of the Varian and Radovan tales. There's several books with them in it. It's sort of like Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Wat- Watson. If Sherlock Holmes was a half-elf wizard fighter... And Dr. Watson was a um, tiefling rogue. You you need to, to send me a couple of books to, to pick up and read out of this because I definitely will. You also got the World Wound Gambit, which is Ocean's Eleven in Hell. <laughs> I'll read that. Yeah, they're actually doing a heist into the abyss. That's pretty cool. There's also the Pirates books, which I'm reading right now by Chris A. Jackson. I'm on Pirates Honor right now, but one of the main characters is a Naga. Really? Yeah, it kind of blows me away. That's actually kind of neat. Yeah, it and there's parts from her perspective. So it's just neat to see somebody writing from the perspective of a non-humanoid character. That's actually really awesome. So yeah, I, I'm definitely going to read into these because 
I don't think I'll read any more of the Forgotten Realms books. They they were just seem so dry, and I would definitely. But these ones they they sound very rich, um, very interesting uh, concepts to go with, especially how you've described them. So I will definitely give these a read. I'm gonna I get a twenty five dollar gift card on my birthday to Barnes and Noble, usually from at least one person. And the I, um the Pathfinder Tales book have gotten even better since Tor started publishing them. They do they do them in that like large format paperback where it's nice large print. It's a lot easier to read. That's how they do my uh, my Lewis Lamore Western novels, and I, I love that format. I I think that format was come out with to compete with eBooks because it's a much more um, it's a much easier to read format of of paperback. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think so. So yeah, I'm gonna pick these up. So. We we are out of time, and listeners, I want to apologize for this clusterfuck of an episode. Um, I'm going to try to Get edit Get through it. all the shit at the beginning, and you'll actually yeah. fall into a good episode. Well, if you want to reach us, um, you can do that at brian.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com, mike.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com. Anthony doesn't have an email address, and I don't feel like making a joke right now, dot com. <laughs> at SuperVeganBrian on Twitter, at NerdcasterMike. And at Nerdcast Radio, please leave us feedback. Don't base your opinion just on this episode. <laughs> you can leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever pl- podcasting platform you listen to us on. We would appreciate it greatly. And that's it for me. Michael, why don't you close us out? Well, today we had this wondrous thought of what today was going to be. Did not happen at all. <laughs> I was I was looking forward to have Erica on again, and yeah, then I, I yeah we were gonna have her sucks. on again, but it, it always work. sucks when one of the core hosts has a problem and we can't do it, especially when we're all on and something goes wrong. Because yeah, but, yeah, especially after on. losing Anthony. But you know what? You know, it's just a test of our a test of our metal. We're gonna come back to you guys next week. We're gonna have another great episode. We'll have these technical issues sorted out. I'm sure. And we'll have just another really good episode for everybody. But today, I did have a good time talking about, you know, uh, Pathfinder in specific, uh, being able to get a little bit of character information out, talk about, you know, organized play. Because Pathfinder is a is a RPG I really just want to support because I really enjoy how it runs and how it makes friends work together. I always have a good time talking to you about it. So I'm, I'm glad we were I'm just playing. To, I'm running a Pathfinder game today. Uh, is it your online one? Yeah. Yeah, we haven't played a long time because of trips to Sweden and family reunions and all sorts of stuff. And Ooh. now we're finally getting our first game in a long time. Yeah, shake those cobwebs off. Have a good game. So that sounds really great. Um, I like talking today. The uh, our randoms number generator. You know, that was that was a good idea for our, <laughs> for our topic. I don't know if it was a good idea, but we'll try it again at some point. I heard a dice. I heard dice on the recording. No, it it's, a, it's a complex computerized algorithm. And I was just it clunking it around has trying to think. Nothing to do with dice dropping on my desk. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's it it's been engineered. We had our nerd podcast radio group of engineers work it out over years, and they finally they they figured it out. It sounds like dice rolling out on the table, but the, I I promise that's not what it is. You know, Brian. You know, we we talk a lot about finances in the off, in the off time but then we i think i finally figured out what our problem is we have to we we spend all our stuff our time and money uh, powering an interdimensional portal and hiring engineers that we most likely keep locked up in a dugout basement no they're they're in the they're in the other dimension where slavery is legal oh okay it saves us money trust me <laughs> i got it down to a bottom line
<laughs> Slavery in another dimension. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess that helps us save a few. Bucks. We didn't <laughs> exactly pay for the portal, but right. but we'll we'll have to go into that in another time. I, I'll talk to you about it when we're not recording. I, I, I I've said too much. I <laughs> hope we don't get killed for this. Today's been a good topic, been fun. I know we'll talk about Pathfinder again, but I've been your host, Special Mikey. Hindu Anthony was with us. He'll be back. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> that wasn't bad. And Super Vegan Brian. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> been a long morning, everybody. So, but this has been Nerd Podcast Radio, and as always, stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay awesome. Say goodbye, Michael. Brian, cut him off. Thanks for listening to our nerd show. Nerd Podcast Radio.